It's time to get after it. You're going to jam your legs down and hyperextend your ankles and then shoot back up and lock your knees in place. Not one of those things sounds right to me. This is the Upper Left Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Jack Anderson. Today on the show, we've got Adam Virgil, and Adam is the sports science coordinator at the University of Vermont, where he is also an adjunct professor and in the process of getting his PhD, uh, focusing on athlete wellness questionnaires and how to positively correlate them to on-ice performance. Adam also spent time with the New York Rangers as a performance analyst and strength and conditioning coach. Uh, It was really awesome to hear his insights on breaking into the NHL and carving out a niche for himself in sports science and data analytics. Uh, He really evolved the Rangers model and talks about it in depth here. Um, and, And then beyond that, just talking about his time in the past year at the University of Vermont was very enlightening. Um, some of the insights that he's doing on wellness questionnaires are unlike anything I have heard before, and I think they're going to be a major asset to the field. Um, we really went in depth on, on data and its place in strength and conditioning today, and anyone uh, who's a younger strength coach looking to expand their skill set within the field, I think this is the way to go. Without further ado, this is Adam. Here we go. Adam, thanks so much, man, for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed our conversations over the last few months, especially in regards to uh, data, which is something I'm not uh, overly familiar with, as you now know. Um, but uh, yeah, man, it's just been it's been great talking to you about it. And I just kind of wanted to get you on and get your take on kind of where sports science is going and whatnot. But before we do that, uh, just give me a little background on yourself, like how you started out in the field and uh, and then obviously your time with the Rangers and whatnot. Of course. Well, first, you know, give yourself a little bit of credit there. You, you know more than you think, you know, I guess, about data. Um, but uh, I, uh, I started at the University of Vermont, if we're starting from undergrad here, and I studied exercise and movement science. Uh, I thought that I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. That was the purpose um, of that. And I minored in uh, nutrition and food science. So I have a little bit of a nutrition background as well. And out of school, I pretty much went right to the Rangers. Uh, so, I mean, the story goes, uh, I graduated from University of Vermont in 2013 um, with exercise and movement science degree and my CSCS. And then uh, I started personal training over the summer um, at this uh, this little spot. And while I was doing that, uh, I got a call from one of my professors and he said, hey, Adam, uh, I heard about this gig. I think you'd be a good fit for it. And the next thing I know, um, I'm getting a call from a guy, uh, Reg Grant, um, who is the head strength conditioning coach for the Rangers. Um, and, and I kind of played, so this guy, my professor, he's, he's a trickster, he's a prankster. So I didn't, you know, I, I kind of brushed it off. I was like, yeah, this is a, this is a joke, like whatever. Um, and, but yeah, then eventually Reg asked me to send some, um, like my CV and stuff like that. And I go down for an interview. I think after that interview, a couple of days later, the next thing I know, they're asking me, all right, we got training camp in three weeks. Um, how quickly can you move down here? So that's kind of how, how that happened. Um, but to backtrack a little bit, during my time uh, at University, University of Vermont, like I, I really did go out of my way um, to ask questions. Like the, the material intrigued me. So I asked a bunch of questions. I got involved with internships and hands-on experiences in any way that I could. Um, wasn't thinking about networking uh, in any regard. It was mostly just because it was intriguing to me. Um, so, you know, for example, with that professor, 
because I asked questions, he got to know me, I got pretty good grades in his class, and he asked if I wanted to help uh, test the UVM men's hockey team, do some wing gates and things like that. And I did, and during that process, he was showing me the numbers and, and, and what, they, what they meant to him and why some guys were stronger or faster or better than others. And I was like, oh, wow, there's like a whole sciencey component to this. Whereas in school uh, or during undergrad, this isn't a knock on, on UVM's program, but you know, pretty much I was taken through how to organize programs, periodization, and run athletes through them and coach them up. So I, was, I thought I was pretty good at that. Um, but I didn't get exposed to the sports science side of things, which is, I guess, it initiated um, at UVM there. Um, but then when I got to the Rangers, uh, I thought I knew some stuff about sports science because of my exposures, but I wasn't even close. Um, I got hired as the assistant strength and conditioning coach. Uh, one of my main duties was hands-on implementation of the strength and conditioning programs that Reg uh, designed uh, eloquently for, for the players. But in addition to that, they were already collecting a lot of information from the players, data, uh, if you will. And one of my duties was to help manage the collection of that information um, because there was a lot of information being collected at the time. So that's kind of how, how I got there. And what happened next was, you know, the information, I wasn't exposed to heart rate monitors or even like all these different metrics coming from these devices, for example, during fitness testing. Um, the way that we quantified bench press performance at the time, if you will, was through a linear uh, position transducer. So those metrics were kind of foreign to me. I was like, I know what a one rep max is, but I don't really understand these metrics. And essentially, gather, like when I was gathering all that information up, I wanted to interpret it because I didn't understand exactly what it meant. So I started interpreting it, uh, which led to me trying to figure out a way to organize it and analyze it to a, to a very minor extent and visualize it in a way that made sense to me. Started doing that, uh, showed it to, to Reg and he thought it was really beneficial uh, to do those things. And then I started doing a lot of that uh, with training load monitoring, uh, the fitness testing, even like scouting to a certain extent. And eventually I was spending more time on the computer than I was hands-on with the athletes. And I transitioned, at a certain point, I was pretty much asked to create my own job description and title. Uh, and I became, you know, the, this, it was called the performance analyst at the time, because, but it, it was essentially the, the sports scientist. And, that, and I stayed there um, after, I guess that title became official, I think two or three years into the whole thing. And, and yeah, that's kind of my path. And at a certain point, I. I decided I, I wanted to, to transition to something else and that's that's where I am now so that's that's awesome man so so two things that stand out to me with that first we'll just hit the first one first um you know I, I, every Wednesday I kind of do like a youth movement style thing where I bring on like younger coaches and um and uh, kind of get their thoughts like I feel like we never really hear from them about their experiences as they're just getting out of grad school and what they've done to create like their first job opportunity and whatnot and I think you you hit the nail on the head there and something we haven't talked about with any of the other ones quite so much the value of just asking questions and being present um you know in your undergrad uh situation yeah no it, it was extremely beneficial and honestly just genuinely caring about other people like my professor asked if I wanted to help him test the UVM athletes and yeah I wanted to help him like I, I liked him I wanted to I cared about him and 
just genuinely caring about other people and wanting to learn and being involved is, is super beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And then the second thing for me that I, that I pick out of that, and this is when our first conversation as well, like, I remember you even telling me like the NHL is a little bit behind, for example, like the NBA when it comes to high performance and uh, being data driven to some extent. And it sounds to me like you were kind of almost like the first wave of that. Now you're seeing performance analysts pop up like around the league, right? Well, yeah, I guess officially, but I'm, I'm definitely not the first, the first wave wave of that. I would say like, before I got to the Rangers, you know, Reg was trying his best. <laughs> and I think that a lot of pr- practitioners are, are in, are in Reg's shoes uh, where they're the head strength and conditioning coach. They're, they're, the, they're the nutritionist. They're the sports scientist. They have so many different roles uh, within the team because not, not that the team is understaffed, but they just don't have a lot of staff there. So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, he, a lot, of, a lot of people wear a lot of different hats in a lot of organizations. Um, and I, I believe that things are being done um, to the level of which uh, they're being done, I think differs, but that's, I think, more based on the amount of resources that are available and the time that's available as opposed to the, the attempt uh, or, or the intent, if you will. Yeah, that, I guess that makes sense too. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't mean to say like, ever, you know, um, like I guess you guys are you you were necessarily the first, and that like other practitioners before you weren't doing their due diligence. But it, we are starting to see kind of almost like a special like, at, you know, you just described like a classic generalist strength coach. But it seems like maybe teams are more starting to realize the value of specializing the roles a little bit, right? Yeah, ex- I think that teams are investing more resources in taking care of the players in general. Um, and I think that some teams uh, feel that sports science is one of the ways to help better take care of the players. And they're starting to uh, invest in that a little bit um, because some teams are seeing uh, a good return on that investment. Now the system you kind of built, did you, who did you utilize to kind of help you get there? Or did you, is this kind of all like self-started and you just kind of pieced it together on your own? Well, well, these system, I mean, I guess systems, uh, were, were in place in, in with, with Reg, like he had certain protocols that the players would do. And there were, there were like a million different areas to, to get into, but um, he, he pretty much developed the, the framework of, of all of this stuff. And then I come in and I, I don't want to, I don't think that I helped refine it, but maybe I gave some, some ideas or I, I, um, I gave input that may have, may have led him to, to adjust some of the, the protocols and things that were being done. Um, not necessarily the concepts behind those things, but maybe the, the actual way that things were being done um, in certain respects. Um, but like we can talk about a lot of different things. Uh, for example, one of the things that, that we ended up doing uh, with, with the Rangers, Reg and I, was we would anticipate uh, the loads, uh, the training loads, if you will, um, on, on a normalized scale based on what we were collecting um, for each day of the year before the year happens. So we know that a game, based on data that we had collected with the minor league affiliate team, um, the reason why I say that is because at the time, and actually still currently, um, in-game wearables are, are disallowed uh, in, in the NHL. So actually, uh, this is somewhat of a tangent, but coming up, uh, NHL, the NHL, at least I believe, if, if, if it runs its course the right way, uh, NHL player tracking um, will be happening during games, which will give um, – some sense of physiological uh, output 
um, with, with the players during games. But at the time, and again, still the day, there wasn't any in-game data collection. So we would use the data from uh, our minor league affiliate to figure out, you know, what a game load was relative to a, a hard practice versus a moderate practice versus a light practice. And based on the coach's tendencies or what we thought would happen based on certain scenarios. And when I say that, it's like after an off day, typically, uh, at least uh, with, with one of our coaches, it was like, all right, the guys had the day off. Now we're going to go hard. So th there are certain tendencies that, that, that you come to expect and, and, and jive, jive or just go along with. So we would pretty much map out every day of the season what it's expected to look like, what the travel is going to be, where we need to go, the number of travel minutes, the number of time zones crossed, all these different things. And we would aggregate that information in a way where we would have load projections over the course of the season. So before the season starts, we have an idea of when our high load periods are and when our low load periods are relative to the average, whatever that means. And then we can go to the coaches uh, or, and ask and pretty much say, hey, this is, you know, based on our projections and what we're taking into consideration here, this is what, these are what our loads look like. And then as the season goes on, we can kind of overwrite that information with stuff that actually happens um, which kind of give a sense of projection, but at the same time are accommodating for real things that occur. Um, and we would utilize that throughout the season, pretty much recap on a, on a monthly basis. And, and additionally, when we would foresee a potentially troublesome situation, and in, in our eyes, a troublesome situation um, or a potentially troublesome situation was a sustained period of high load, um, which we're talking about a couple weeks of, of maintained very high stresses uh, collectively or holistically um, relating to, you know, having to wake up early in the morning for team meetings, um, the physiological uh, stress or the internal stress uh, on, on the body through the playing games and exercise or off ice training and practices and air travel. So the first is sustained high load and the other is an abrupt drastic increase. Uh, in training load. So we kind of identified those two scenarios and we would approach coaches when those things were upcoming and just think about strategies on, you know, if, if a manipulation of the plan was warranted. So that's, that, that's one example. That's of, of outstanding. No, that's beautiful, man. And I know we've, we've touched on that before. Um, and, and I would imagine too, you even said like you had to take the data from the year before, then apply it to that year, adjust for changes as the year goes. So Let's say, I mean, I know you were there for a number of years. By the end, did you feel like you had really like built upon those first couple years of like data collection and then impl and, and improved your implementation of this? Uh, yes, I would say uh, the reason being is because we, at the onset, there, there was no, I had no way to compare what was going on with any performance metric. And so it's kind of, get, it's guessing. And, and, and we're kind of doing this all the time, right? We're making informed decisions based on our knowledge and what we've been exposed to. And maybe sometimes there's a little bit of research that we can use to help guide us. And so we were kind of, we we're like, okay, it makes sense that, you know, these, these things are stressors to the body and high stress may, you know, be, be troublesome for performance or injury potential or different things. So this is our kind of our best guess. And as the years went on, we collected performance data or we didn't, but the coaches did. So that enabled me to to look at how the training loads and the way that we were aggregating them 
we're, we're coinciding with performance outcomes on a team level, not an individual player level. That's important. And I still think that that's an area that needs a lot of work um, in our field, just in general, is quantifying individual athlete performance uh, for team sport athletes. But on a team level, we could say, you know, in this situation, you know, when the load was, was high, and this is an overly simplistic example, you know, in this situation, when the load is high, you know, our chance differential was minus 50. But when our load was low, our chance differential was plus 80. And what a chance is, in, in hockey, goals aren't scored very often. So what coaches like to do and what a, what a lot of teams do is they quantify uh, game performance by the amount of chances or opportunities you, opportunities you get to score, which is you can think of it as like layup opportunities in basketball. Three-pointers didn't exist, right? One team has 100 layup opportunities. The other team has 80 layup opportunities. The team with the 20 plus 20 or the 100 layup opportunities probably has a better chance to win. So these chances are essentially shots taken close to the net that are on goal. So we would look at those chances and see how that corresponds with loads. And we would give somewhat actionable advice to to the coaches. And one layer on top of this, and let me know if I'm going on too too long. No, this um, is keep dude, this is great. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one layer on top of this is that you need to be able to identify situations that are that could be potentially potentially manipulated. Um, and with the NHL and similarly with the NBA, games are games. You play in the games. Um, <laughs> the the schedule is is congested. Uh, you may be play you may play two to five, four or sometimes five games in a seven, eight day period. So it's, we're identifying practice opportunities um, where things could potentially be manipulated within this entire framework. And the way that we do that is we kind of organize things into three day scenarios where there's like the scenarios that occur where practices happen are there's game practice game. So one scenario would, would be, What's, so when the training load is high versus low in a game, then a practice, then a game scenario, what does that chance differential look like in that second game of that scenario? And similarly, what if we have a practice game game? So then what does the chance differential look like in that first game of the back-to-back -back and the second game of the back-to-back -back when the load is high or low? And again, we're identifying those practice opportunities to manipulate um, in, in those certain sequences, right? Because a high load uh, scenario when you're playing a practice game game is different than if you have an off day than a practice than a game. Um, I'm not sure if that, if that no, makes that's, sense. That but. makes total sense, man. And I was going to, I was actually going to be my next question. Now, one thing just for clarification on my end, um, would you consider every game to be a high load or does that, were you having that vary as well from game to game? I'm using this, this term load very vaguely. Okay. Um, in, in general, like if you're talking about the load uh, or the, let's use the, the metric trim or training impulse uh, mm -hmm. coming from, from a heart rate monitor. If you're looking at the, that as, as, as a load metric and you're comparing a game to a practice, at least in my environment, a game is generally based on a AHL information, right? Um, or preseason NHL information. The, the game is, you know, between 200 and 300, whereas a practice, if it's a light, it's 40 to, to 60. If it's moderate, it's 60 to 80. And if it's hard, it's maybe like 80 to 120. 
So it's not even coming close then. Yeah, not, not, not even close. So yeah. on a day, day, unless you're talking about training camp, training camp's a little bit, is, is a little bit <laughs> yeah. different. You see, you yeah. see game higher than game loads during, during practices, but. Okay. Yeah, no, this is, this all makes a ton of sense then. Yeah. So, um, obviously I like the way you're looking at this. Like I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've read like game changer by Fergus Connolly, but he just talks about, we got to understand the game and the sport and the demand and I, so we can best communicate with sport coaches. It sounds like you guys just knocked that out of the park because you just took the thing. You look, you like you said, you looked at things that are the most actionable after looking at data to help them then improve what is most important, you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's what we aim to do. Um, I'm not sure. And, and this is, I'm not sure. I, I have a feeling this is pretty common um, in, in elite sport is you're, you're not changing practices really. I mean, you can, you can give advice and most coaches, I would say it, it depends on the culture, but a lot of coaches are just going to do what they want anyways. Nothing against coaches. Like they have, they have tons of experience and they have gut feelings about things and they should act on those gut feelings oftentimes. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, really the, the air, although we provide the information, we try to provide as much information as possible in a way that the coaches would understand and resonate with, um, despite what, what they did with it. We just wanted to make, try to help the best way we could. Um, our, we were able to make a significant impact, uh, or Reg more so than me. I, I, I helped with providing information, but in, in the weight room, like what, what we could literally just, what, what we knew that we could control. Um, cause you're not going to go to, Eat, like you're not going to go to a coach and like, let's say that you have one player that you see that their load is really high. Like, Hey, this guy has a high load. He should set up practice. That is number one. That's not probably not going to fly with the coach. Number two, that's going to put the player in a bad spot. Um, so a lot of the time it's, it's just aggregated information and trying to apply that information, at least the individualized information per player within the training context or the off ice context uh, for ice hockey. So you are collecting individual player numbers and training loads and all this, but then you're kind of summing it all up in a team average for coaches. Is that kind of how it goes? Uh, yes, kind of. Um, and, and the reason why I say kind of is because a lot of the player data um, is simulated <laughs> or it was right. Cause we're not collecting any in-game data um, during games. So what, what I would do or what, yeah, what I would do is I would, pretty much look at the, the AHL data, um, categorize players, um, in certain ways. And then with our guys, depending on the amount of, like I'd have, let's say that we're using the metric trim, right. From heart rate, each, each guy or people in different categories would have a certain trim per minute of time on ice that they play during a game, right. Let's say a fourth line center has a trim per minute of 10.2. So if they play, or I'll just say 10 and they played five minutes, then they're projected trim for that game would be 50, right? So we would apply those algorithms to our guys that match the criteria of the AHL guys so that we could, because when I say load generally, I'm not talking about a single day. I'm talking about aggregated load over a period of time. Like for example, the average load over the past seven days or the total load over the past seven days. So if we have zeros for games for all of our players, then that's, well, all right, now I'm getting off onto a tangent, but if we do that, it's going to look like the players that don't play at all have the highest loads because typically the players that are 
getting fatigued from games and particularly those that know how to manage the bodies during practice to continue to excel during games will not practice as hard or their physiological output will not be as high as the players that don't play at all during games. So if you just look at practice loads, the guys that don't play are going to have the highest loads um, of, of all the players. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very interesting. So now let's shift it over into the weight room a little bit. Obviously, like you said, you started spending more time behind a computer than on the weight room floor, but um, just in my experience, having spent some time in, in different professional sports uh, weight rooms, it's it, when I was younger, it doesn't surprise me anymore. And I had a great talk with Sean light about this earlier today. Uh, it always surprised me though, when I was younger, how, um, elite athletes don't they work hard but they don't do the type of work in the weight room that you know the common person thinks they do and I just kind of wanted your insight on, on you know maybe maybe that was not the case with you guys in the Rangers but um just take me through kind of what what sort of thing your big rocks were in training and and uh you know just kind of point out maybe what maybe some misconceptions that people would have about like the training atmosphere in the weight room in an NHL on an NHL team well, wow. I mean, I can only speak. I, I think, I think there's a lot of variation in in how this is done uh, in in the NHL. Um, in regarding effort, I think it's a very individualized concept or a very individualized thing. Where some players, um, some player, I, I I've seen a couple players uh, in my time that even if you told them not to work out, they would they would work out hard. Like they they just wanted to work out every day, no matter what get after it. Um, and these, and these are even guys that play a lot of minutes like during games. Um, but, and then there are other guys that kind of, will. I don't want to say that, that, that they'd pretend to be hurt. They, but they, so yeah, scratch that, cut that. They, they would extrapolate sometimes or seemingly so upon injuries that they may be dealing with to, as an excuse to not, um, lift sometimes. Uh, but in general, uh, in, it's, it's, it's a really difficult thing uh, with such a condensed schedule to try to get gains um, with, with all your players or with majority of your players um, while also ensuring that they're, that they're not sore um, and healthy for, for every game. It's it, not that it is, it, it, not that it is more of a stress management thing. I think that if you are able to, um, organize your, your, your programming and, and planning in, in, in an appropriate way, you can, you can get gains and at the very least maintain um, what was built up over the off season or over the course of a season. But I'm not sure that that's something that is, it, I'd say it's, it, it's a really difficult thing to pull off um, at least based on the numbers that, that, that I saw um, uh, the off ice numbers that I saw um, during my experiences. No, I, I completely agree with you. And the reason I, the reason I kind of like went down that rabbit hole a little bit when Sean and I were talking, we were just talking about how I think a lot of the, the like preconceived notions for younger strength coaches and, and some old, and I just think some of the, you know, the, the doctrine that we learn in, in college in these much more structured, I think, environments in terms of a periodation standpoint, um, we're all about new, you know, mechanical tension and getting stronger and all these other things. And I think, at least, you know, what Sean was pointing out, and I agree with them. I mean, when these guys reach elite level status, what we provide as practitioners might, you know, be, we might be better served falling more on the, 
the health side of the health performance continuum than the performance side because I mean performance is really like you're pointing out here just poured completely into the game right yeah I'd, I'd say spot on and, and another thing along those lines is the the warm-ups right that they're gonna that that's a good opportunity uh in this space um to get to get some good things done on the health side guys are everyone not everyone but most guys are dealing with something whether it's an official injury or not a nagging thing here or there um, you can program as part of the warm-up uh, exercises and, and and different things to help them manage that better and also potentially you know uh, reduce the risk of, of, of that same injury occurrence happening again um, because they're doing this warm-up every day there, there's high frequency and some people do do that type of stuff and, and uh, with higher intensities and micro dose things like that which I think is is brilliant. I think it's a great strategy um, with this schedule. But you're right; it's mostly it's mostly mostly health management um, as opposed to at least now, like in my collegiate setting, like it's pretty much no matter what, what get after it. Like falls to the wall every every time. Um, before I do want to switch over to that and just hear about your new role and what you're doing there. But one last question on on this end for me. Um, so for me, and again, this is just my limited view of data so far and, and just kind of honestly, a lot of it has been spurred on by our conversations over the last couple months. But um, it, see, it, for me anyways, I know for me what I want out of data, if I ever, you know, it becomes more of, uh, of what I do as a practitioner, I want it to be able to spur conversations with athletes. And I know at the college level, that's very easy. I've been talking and consulting with several soccer teams right now just about implementing easy session RPE stuff and, um, and just monitoring load in that way over time um, in order to facilitate better conversations with their athletes to see how they're feeling and what can be made better uh, by the coaching staff. Now, when you're working with, you know, in a more elite set of athletes, uh, are you still able to kind of use data for conversations with them? Or is that a little harder to approach just given, you know, the egos and then the nature of professional sport, or was that still something you were doing there? Uh, we were, so I think that that has lots to do with the information that, that you're collecting. Um, but we, that's, that's the way that we use it. Like we would never, um, collect info. We would never collect information and use that information to, to make a decision without a discussion with, with an athlete. And, and that's one of the primary reasons why, like we're collecting this information, having discussions with the coaches, collecting this information, having discussions with athletes to try to just figure out like if something is awry or something's a little bit off kilter, see what's going on. Um, so I think that you bring up a great point, um, you know, in, in that context and at the same, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of like, we weren't really collecting any, um, subjective, uh, information from the athletes at the time, but athletes would always come in, especially, especially after hard practices, um, and want to see, you know, all all, all the, the heart rate curves and even, although there was somewhat of a misrepresentation of the information, uh, they'd want to see how they compared, you know, with the other guys and, the, and their heart rate scores. Of course, of course. <laughs> like that, you know, and, and, and it did, you know, at, at the very least, um, even if the conversations weren't directly, you know, beneficial for that athlete, they did create a, a positive culture um, surrounding the, the technology and, and the data. Um, and a lot of guys liked, liked to play a part in that. Um, final thoughts on this. What, what advice do you have for young coaches? Like, it just seems like for you, like you just kind of stumbled into something that's really turned into like 
something that's a passion for you and something that you're helping other young coaches out with. So uh, what advice do you have for young coaches just kind of trying to like dip their toe in this pond? It can definitely, I know for me, it's definitely been a little intimidating because I just don't have this kind of, uh, this kind of brain. Um, so what advice would you have? Do things. That's <laughs> like, like, it's, Love it. It, it, it comes to that do things um, and try to connect with people that are where, where you want to be or, or know things that, that you find fascinating um, because you'll learn a lot from, from those experiences and don't, don't half, half, but it, um, you know, really, really go in and kind of like, if you are going to do something, you better do it well and you better put a, a full, full effort in um, because the name of the game is like, I mean, like people talk about networking a lot and I don't see networking as like this thing. Oh, I go to a conference and I meet all these people. I see it as show up uh, with whatever you're doing, work, work your butt off and provide as much value as possible and genuinely, genuinely care about what you're doing and the people that you're working with. And if, and if, if you do those things, you're going to create a great, strong, meaningful connection um, and demonstrate value to the people that, that, that you're working with and who knows who, who they know and who knows what they're going to be doing later. And that's kind of your, your best bet. Kind of like drawing it back to, to my story with, with Declan Connolly or the professor. Um, if I didn't do the things that I did, I think I found out later that, you know, with the Rangers, Reg asked Declan pretty much like, all right, who's, who's, who's the best guy, you know, you got or whatever. And for whatever reason, my name was, was that name that Declan pulled out of his hat. And, and it was me going out of my way, creating that connection, that strong connection with him that made me, or that I believe that maybe it's not, but I believe that, that doing that is what made me the person, the one person that he mentioned out of all the other people that he's worked with. So I think that if you can make your goal to become that one person with a couple people or, or as many people as, as possible, if you haven't found something yet, then that's probably your best bet. Um, for for getting where you want to go, dude. That's that's money. I absolutely love that. Also, you're allowed to swear on this show. I say fuck all the time <laughs> on the show. <laughs> um, I'm, teaching, uh, I'm teaching kids, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll bleep mine out then in case they listen. Um, <laughs> Practicing. Yeah, exactly. So so talk to me though now, like about this. Uh, you know, last couple questions here, just about um, your new role at UVM. What you're kind of doing. Um, what's been new, what you're loving about it. Cause I could tell you're like really digging where you are right now. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a choice. I mean, I actually knew two years before I left uh, the Rangers that, that this is where I was going to be. Um, it, was, it was a family uh, decision and um, I, I set things up knowing, you know, that, that this is where, where I was going to be with the things that I wanted to do. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm really curious about a lot of things and, through, I'm doing my PhD now. Um, it's in human functioning and rehabilitation science. That's what it's called. But I'm actually doing sports science research because, I mean, well, there's no sports science program here and nor has anyone really done any sports science research. So I'm really excited that I'm able to um, do, do those things um, and learn a lot and kind of utilize, utilize my, the things that I, that I learn with, with the athletes that I'm working with. Um, so that, that's really cool. And I'm also doing sports science stuff for the UVM men's ice hockey team. And that has a complementary 
complementary relationship where I'm on the floor, you know, kind of coaching, collecting information. Um, but at the same time, that information is research for my PhD. So I'm kind of killing a couple birds with one stone in that sense. And I'm loving teaching. Like I just got into that uh, recently. And again, the reason why I want to do it actually initially was because I'm a terrible speaker and presenter, uh, I think. So I wanted to be, exp I wanted to kind of challenge myself and get more accustomed to doing those things. And that's been a really fun process for reasons that I would have never anticipated. Um, like pro like program design, it's creating a syllabus is freaking it's, it's periodization, man. Like I create this syllabus. I had the, the I thought I had the best syllabus ever. I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen <laughs> every day. Well, let's take the whole coronavirus stuff out of it. But like still, you know, every single day it was something I, I had to, I had to adjust, which ultimately led to me kind of, collecting data with, with our students and cause that's part of my class. It's called performance monitoring and technology trends in sport and exercise. So we started collecting data on ourselves every time we enter class and we're kind of, we were kind of using that information um, through dashboards and visualizations to better inform what the class should look like on that day. For example, if the class feels like crap and no one slept, maybe I'm not going to go over some really intensive content that day. You know, that's just an example. Um, but in general, that's just an illustration of that's fun for me. <laughs> I, yeah. I like stuff. So, um, so it's just been really fun. I love this, man. This is awesome. I wish I had you as a teacher. That's, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> um, uh, no, that's, this, is, this is really cool, man. It sounds like you're really kind of getting to do what you want to do. So for your PhD, do you know what um, exactly you're doing your dissertation on then with the data you're collecting? Or Yeah, I mean, I... I do, but it's, it's ever evolving and there's a lot of it. So, uh, the first is I'm still waiting for a systematic review to, to come out, um, about wellness questionnaires, uh, in sport, but, uh, it, I, I, I know, I know it's in the review process right now, but I'm, um, I'm pretty much investigating a lot of wellness questionnaires to date are, are either really, really lengthy or contain scales that, that, that may not necessarily be, be appropriate. And, and for a variety of other reasons, a lot of practitioners design their own custom or modified forms of these questionnaires and use them um, that have not necessarily gone through um, the process of, of uh, validating um, the questionnaire and, and its re reliability. So I'm kind of, I've, I've designed a questionnaire um, and we're testing uh, the validity and reliability of that to number one, assess um, minute changes in training stress over the competitive hockey season. So typically questionnaires when they're, when they've been evaluated, I believe people can correct me if I'm wrong with it, but there, there's a period of really intense uh, work, like, like a training camp. And there's a period of really low, low intensity work and they compare wellness responses between those two scenarios and, you know, if there's a significant difference between those two responses, um, then it's deemed to be, you know, valid for monitoring training stresses. Whereas in the NHL season and other seasons, you pretty much go up, like you go up and you stay there for six months. And there are minute, small fluctuations in both game scenarios and practice scenarios that to me, if, if there is, if wellness or if well-being can capture uh, minute fluctuations in those training stress responses, it could be valuable. Uh, and then the other layer is understanding how wellness, if it does, impacts performance. So 
like I talked about the difficulty with quantifying individual player performance, um, what we're doing is we're having the players self-rate their performance on like a grade scale, A plus through F, and we're all, for all the games, and we're having the coaches do that too. And the, another goal is to understand whether or not um, daily wellness um, is able to – is associated with subsequent performance um, because that, if it, that is the case and let's say it is associated with training stresses in some way or it's not, we're, we're identifying manipulatable scenarios that may end up in increases in performance um, uh, holistically. So that's, that's kind of the first thing. <laughs> Dude, I like, I like this a lot. I see this is stuff like, I know there's more to the things that I think about in this, these areas, but I just don't know them yet. Like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's fun. It's fun for me too. So we're also collecting like, uh, just off or off ice performance metrics, um, through, through training, like 10 meter sprint times, uh, jump heights. And this is me, um, my colleague, Mark Hickok are, are primarily involved. He's the director of athletic performance. I'm at UVM. So we're collecting jump heights, 10 meter sprint times, and then there are some lifting numbers. And another goal is to understand how, if, and how um, wellness or throughout a competitive hockey season um, impacts long-term athletic development and long-term athletic development, meaning uh, physical development over the course of a, of a competitive hockey. So you're just using your KPIs essentially, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, okay. yeah, exactly. There, there are lots of different, different ways that, that we're kind of going uh, with this along a similar vein, again, unrelated, but part of our data collection is RPE. Um, we're collecting RPE in a different way. It's people, at least, I think I got this from Franco Impelizzeri, uh, but a lot of people will collect RPE using colored scales and things like that, that again, necessarily haven't necessarily been validated uh, in the literature, but they're, they're modified versions of previously existing validated RPE scales. And what I'm trying to figure out is whether or not if RPE is presented in this way that is colored on a sliding scale, imagine, right, green to red, like um, rest to maximal exertion, and players are filling out RPE in this way, is it, is it a valid indicator of training stress in any way? So we're collecting heart rates too for practices and games, and the method of potential validation of that would be assessing whether or not um, the RPEs uh, coincide with um, the training stresses that, that have been imposed from a, from a heart rate perspective. Um, just lots of, lots of bits, bits and pieces kind of going around, um, mostly surrounding questionnaires uh, and, and their validity and, and reliability for right now. But um, the offshoot of that is, is, is performance related, and we hope to get to that uh, at some point. I like that a lot too. I mean, that kind of makes me think um, you were talking about how the coaches will rate the players performance and the players will rate their performance as well. So you just, is that similar to that one study that sh um, where they're comparing uh, where players will rate like certain aspects of practice on an RPE scale and the coaches will rate how hard the practice is supposed to be. And you just kind of see if the, um, if the perceptions align, is that kind of part of what you're looking at here? That's, that's certainly part of it, but it's also because subjective performance quantification is not, is not commonplace. It's also more exploratory in that, like when we're assessing uh, validity of the, the wellness questionnaire or we're assessing how, how, physical develop, how physical qualities impact performance outcomes, like sports-specific performance outcomes, it gives us kind of two ways to assess that 
because I, I don't know which is a more accurate reflection. I don't know if either is an accurate reflection of the player's performance or not. It's the best way that I could think of um, how to kind of try to tease that out. Um, so it, it's, it serves a lot of different purposes. And yeah, we have done some comparisons between coach rated and player rated perceptions because obviously it could be used to identify whether or not a coach and a player are on the same page, right? Like if a player is giving himself A's, coach is giving him D's and this would depend a lot on the culture of your environment and how that's gone about. But if it were me and the, and the culture were strong, it may be something like, Hey, you know, does this person know, know your expectations for them? Does there need to be a little bit more communication here? Um, because he's given him himself A's or giving them D's. Um, so that's another kind of, like you said, comparing one to the other, uh, a use case for that. So just so I'm clear on this too, sorry, if I, if you, I think you might've explained this, but I might've just missed it. So you're looking at wh what things can impact uh, like a player's subjective evaluation of their performance. And you're using, you're seeing if there's a correlation between on one approach, wellness scores, and then the other, some of these uh, long-term athletic development metrics. Is that correct? Correct. And, and okay. additionally, train, training load indices, but. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. More stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's just more stuff. It's, 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 it's all the stuff. There is a focus though. It may, it may appear unfocused. There's a, I have a document with a list of steps. That's a couple pages long. Um, no, so. I wasn't, I wasn't questioning that. No, at no, all. no, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm just <laughs> confirming that, that I'm, I'm not a madman. I don't think, or I could be, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Well, dude, Adam, this has been great, man. Um, just to wrap up, uh, where, where do you kind of see yourself going in the next few years? It sounds like we know where this is going since a doctor, it takes a while, but, um, any, any other like plans or projects coming up for you or, um, you know, any other goals over the next few years you'd like to accomplish? Uh, not really. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty busy. Like I, I this PhD, I'm doing the PhD part-time. Like I've kind of committed to this process for the next five to seven years, um, depending on how long this, this takes. So I've, I made that decision kind of like I'm going off to, to college, right? Like, all right, I'm committing to this thing for the next four years. I know what I'm going to be doing. Um, that's, that's kind of what I did there. I guess one goal that I have is, um, we're trying to get, get more involved with, with Excel, um, or giving people resources to help them, uh, with that. I've started doing a little bit recently and I hope that that, keeps on going pretty well because I felt that I had gained a lot of experience with my experiences um, with, with the Rangers in Excel. So I want to try to provide some value to other people um, from those experiences if I can, but it's more of a time thing. If I have time to do it, I'll, I'll keep trying to do it. If not, I'll, I'll see what happens. <laughs> well, yeah. Nuda, you've already helped me out with it. Cause again, my Excel skills are a little whack. So um it's been, it's been good. Just kind of, I've been using you and then DSM strength on YouTube recently to kind of brush. Dave up is awesome. Better. Okay. He is. All right. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, that's a great resource. Keep going there. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. I'm glad I'm on the right track. I had a couple other people recommend that to me as well. So to wrap up, where can the people find you? Any, any sites, projects you want to pitch, uh, your socials, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a, so for those that don't know, I, I create these like infographic like things. They're not as good as uh, Jan Lemire's, but they're, but they're okay. So, and I go through a lot of research on them. Um, I host that those on, on, on my website, which is adamvirgil.com. Like I write, uh, like article reviews and create infographics and do some Excel stuff on there. It's not like a paid thing. It's just, I just, that's a place where I host it. You can contact me from there. 
And then I'm mostly on, I'm on all the social media stuff, but mostly on Twitter. It's just the at sign, I think. And then my name, Adam Virgil, no periods or anything. Those are probably the easiest places to find me. Uh, and my email addresses should be available through those, um, through those means if you want to connect with me that way too. Dude, awesome. Adam, thank you so much, man. This is, honestly, I learned a lot. I'm gonna have to go back. Like a lot of these I don't go back and listen to because I kind of already know where we're going or their buddies or anything like that. But I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this one because there was some really good nuggets in here, man. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. No, I, I really appreciate it. You're, you're the man. Keep up your great work. I love the podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. All right, you too. Take care.